Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 6 of Hypnosis Weekly. Yes indeed, hello and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a marvellous show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with the man often referred to as the world's fastest hypnotist, Mr. Sean Michael Andrews. Then I'll be taking a glance at some recent stories in the media where hypnosis is featured. Some fascinating stuff from the media archives to discuss this week. As usual, I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the way hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. Um, and like I said, the ones from the archives this week, a couple of really profound and important stories in my opinion. We then return with our professional discussion with our guest, Sean Michael Andrews, this week. He and I will be discussing how stage and street hypnosis affect the perception of the hypnosis profession. We'll round things off with the hypnosis factoid of the week before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. It's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. So, first of all today, this week's interview. Despite knowing his work, um, um, owning some of his DVDs and being aware of his glowing reputation, I only met Sean Michael Andrews for the first time earlier this year, and this year being 2014, if you're listening to this in a future year. Um, Sean came here and he spoke in Bournemouth at a group that I run, and uh, we had something to eat together beforehand and uh, uh, discussed things at length and in depth and had some fun in the bar after his lecture. I was struck by what a lovely man he is. He was incredibly enthusiastic, genuinely so, interested in people and equally interesting. He was very humble and also incredibly generous. Everyone who met him that night commented the same to me. In addition to that, he has some fabulous experience. He travels the world teaching and much more besides, and I just had to get him to come here and be involved in an episode of this podcast. So here it is, today's interview with Sean Michael Andrews. So indeed, I'm delighted to have with me today the often referred to world's fastest hypnotist. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Sean Michael Andrews here to Hypnosis Weekly. Hello, Sean. Hello, Adam. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a, it's a real pleasure. Um, um, so let's, let, let's find out a little bit about, about your background. Um, 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 how, how did you get into this field and how have you arrived at where you are now? Because, you know, you're, you're, you're currently a fairly 
prolific traveller. I know that from my own experience with you. You're a real jet setter. Um, um, how did you arrive at that place where you're in such demand and, and what's your background? Well, uh, my background, I was a humble bureaucrat, in the words of Sir Humphrey Appleby. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they asked me to become a supervisor. And in order to prepare me for that job and taking over different work centers, they they sent me to an NLP course yeah, and uh, they wanted me to learn uh, rapport building techniques and I got hooked on NLP and I read everything that I could on it and studied and then I followed that up to Ericksonian hypnosis and I liked that and, uh, and then I became acquainted with the work of Dave Ellman yeah. and I liked that even better because it suited my personality much better. I, I always tell people that I'm very impressed by Ericksonian hypnotists because they tend to be extremely intelligent and Ericksonian hypnosis just it wasn't for me. It sure. was I didn't feel I was smart enough to do Ericksonian hypnosis. But the oh. Elman the Elman style is very direct and very simple and and uh, and it suits my personality. So so um, anyway so since I was working for the government and had plenty of uh, annual leave and, and sufficient funds, I, was, I sought out the best hypnotists that I could, uh, people like, um, uh, like Gil Boyne and Gerald Kine and Richard Bandler, and, and so I studied, I studied with them and they are responsible for everything that I do today because uh, none of the stuff I do is made up by me. It's, it's all the things that I've learned from very, very good hypnotists over the years. So that's, uh, that's how I got here. Great, great. And, and when, when people then, you know, ask you about hypnosis and ask you about what you do, um, um, how, how do you explain hypnosis to people that are interested? You know, if you're ever caught being cornered at the ki in the kitchen at a party or something, and people are asking you about what you do, asking you about hypnosis, do you have a do you have a working definition of hypnosis? And if so, how did you arrive at that? And um, um, how do you explain hypnosis to other people? I, I do of sorts. Um, basically, for me, hypnosis is a very uh, simple process. It's a, it's a natural state that human beings go into usually through some form of relaxation. And in that state, they will accept suggestions that they would not normally accept in their normal waking state. So my view of hypnosis is quite simple. You hypnotize, you deepen, you give the suggestions, and you emerge. And, uh, and sometimes you hypnotize, uh, deepen, uh, do age regression and emerge and um, that's that's pretty much it it's um I'm a pretty simple guy right great I mean I, I love that I love that idea of um, of, of things being simple um, I often joke about uh, about in my own teachings about teaching the law of parsimony um, and I always say you know there's there's some irony in the fact that it's called parsimony when it's referring to just doing things simply um, <laughs> Um, so, so I mean, you've already mentioned a few people that you went and learned from. Um, mm -hmm. um, um, who, who have been your major influences in this field? And, and are there any particular books or authors that have taught you most or the teachers that have been the most influential upon you and how you work? And perhaps you could explain some of the reasons why. Hmm. 
Well, I think that uh, I think that probably Gerald Kine was the biggest influence on me early in my career. Mm. Uh, he he taught me to be a solid hypnotist. Um, I would say that the the well, teaching. What do you mean by that, Sean? Oh well, I uh, I loved NLP and uh, and I loved to help people through NLP, but my understanding of hypnosis and also uh, my instant induction, I did not really have the instant inductions before I met him. Sure. He taught me my, my first instant inductions. In fact, uh, a fellow who uh, worked with him, uh, Bob Brenner, I believe, actually taught me my very first instant induction. Yeah. And, and so, so Gerald Kine was a very big influence on me early in my career. Um, but I would say the, the work of Dave Ellman, or I'll say the works of Dave Ellman, because it's yeah. not just his book, Hypnotherapy, that, that did it for me, but I was able to access some audio recordings of Ellman when he was teaching his medical hypnosis course. Great. And, and fortunately, through my association with my friend Colonel Ellman, I got access to a lot of stuff. And then people sometimes send me things. And... And to hear the things that weren't in the book, Hypnotherapy, I, wonderful, wonderful insights. It was, um, I'm trying to think, something came up just the other day that I got from one of the recordings. Oh, yes. We love to do name amnesia. It's, it's excellent when you're doing demonstrational hypnosis. Yeah. It's an excellent convincer for people so that they know that they've been hypnotized. And... I encountered this little gem by Dave Ellman, which he used when he was doing waking hypnosis, but also when he was doing trance hypnosis to ensure that he would get name amnesia. And he would suggest to the person, wouldn't it be interesting if for just a brief period of time, you forgot your name? Something so simple like that. Wouldn't that be interesting? And so he sort of engages the person's imagination. Yeah. And then he says, I will snap my fingers. And when I do, you will not be able to come up with, up with your name. And here's the magic phrase. Just want that to happen. Expect it to happen. And watch it happen. And, and I thought I had forgotten about that phrase. And Love so that. I started using it again. And yeah. my golly, that's a powerful phrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think anybody listening to this wants to rewind that part and go and listen to that and get that installed in your in your brains yourself yeah <laughs> love that i love that um um and you mentioned um um you you mentioned you know the, the, the name amnesia um, yes. um is that is, is that the most impressive application of hypnosis that you that you tend to witness directly or or are there other things what 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 tends to be the more impressive applications of hypnosis that, that you see or that you have seen? Well, I'd say that of the ones that I've witnessed myself, I, I would say the banishing of a phobia. My, sometimes people ask me what my, my best, my biggest success I ever had. And this probably isn't my biggest success, but it's the one that, that still gives me chills. Yeah. I worked with, worked with a lady years ago she's she i don't think she's still around but but she was she was 80 what was she i believe she was 84 years old <laughs> and 
she had she was brought to me because she had a terrible phobia of thunderstorms. She was the, the sweetest little old lady you'd ever meet. Yeah. But she told me that when bad weather moved in, or when she saw it on the news that bad weather was coming during the summer, she would go down into the basement of her daughter's home to a little closet and, and close herself in the closet and stay there for an hour or two until the thunderstorms had passed. She was that, her personality would shift. She would go from being a sweet little old lady to a witch. And I, it was hard for me to imagine what that was like. Yeah. So, so I worked with her, I, I, I interviewed her and I, I thought I would do it and she abreacted so strongly that it frightened me and I sent her I sent her to her doctor and I said I really want him to tell me that you can handle this therapy because it was one of the strongest ab reactions I've ever seen. Yeah. So she came back a week later with a with a letter from her doctor and I hypnotized her and I took her back. She um she went back to the age of 4 with her mother walking across a field during a fireworks demonstration. And she she absolutely revivified this uh, situation from 80 years before. <laughs> and, and so I did a standard sort of Elman-style therapy with her. The whole session probably lasted about 35 to 40 minutes. And at the end, it was gone. Wow. So this phobia was 80 years old. <laughs> and it was gone in thirty-five to forty minutes. It was so that was that was probably the most impressive thing that I witnessed firsthand. Wow. With yeah, I mean, I mean, heck, she she'd only had four like, four years of her life without that. Yes, yes. Yeah, up until the point that <laughs> that she did that work with you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I mean, heck, that's that's the reason we do some of this stuff, right? You know. Yes. Um. Um. I, I I love to hear things like that. Um. If if you could if you could go back. So when you started out um, mm -hmm. within this field, um, having been through the journey, you know, taught in all the places that you have taught and continue to taught and um, teach all around the world and, and knowing what you know now, because I know you do a lot of your own kind of study and research as well mm -hmm. that we'll, we'll, I'll ask you about later. Would you, would you do anything differently? Um, um, if so, what? Um, and, and is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you starting out that, that potentially could be extended to hypnotherapists of today? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say probably no. I don't think I would really do... Well, uh, here's what I wish I could have done. I could have started earlier. Right. I th I think that would have been nice because I would have been able to uh, to learn from people who had passed on by the time that I had uh, had gotten stuck into hypnosis. But yeah. no, I think I think one of the things that I appreciated a lot was I was I was lucky <laughs> because my first classes that I took I just happened to bumble into good instructors. Yeah. And it wasn't through any design or, or research of mine. I just thought, that's an interesting looking course. I think I'll take that. And I happened into some people who were brilliant. And, and then once I got a little bit more worldly, a little bit smarter about it, then I, I would do uh, research and find out uh, who those people studied with and then try yeah. to get in classes with them. So I think, I think the only thing I would do differently, excuse me, 
is that I would I would have started earlier because this is absolutely the best thing I've ever done in my life. I've had some very, very interesting jobs in my life when I was in the military and when I yeah. was working for the uh, government. But I tell you that nothing is, is as uh, much fun as it still excites me. Yeah. Uh, nothing's as much fun as hypnosis. Well, this, uh, you know, uh, again, um, I'm going to coin this expression today. I, I love hearing that. I really do. You know, I, I love to hear of people working in this field that get as excited and effervescent about it um, I'm, I'm, as, I, as I am. Um, I'm, and one of those That's obvious when I met you that was yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I appreciated seeing that in you as well yeah, yeah you know that, that have a real fascination for it as well and and you know are looking to to develop it and 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 are so interested in it um, um but I, I also think you know it makes a, it's a very wise thing that you say there because um you know the fact that you had enough sense about you and enough wisdom about you to to recognize the good people probably served you very well you know whereas you know perhaps it had you gone in much younger you you know you may not have been the person that you were to have benefited from from the trainings that you did i don't know you know um, um i i often you know i say to my wife if only i'd have done my phd 10 years earlier and she said well you know mm -hmm. 10 years earlier you might not have been as capable as as you are or you know and the fact that you weren't mm -hmm. thinking about it 10 years ago perhaps it wasn't right for you at that time um mm -hmm. now i mentioned and i alluded earlier you know um, um in your in your newsletters online and and some of the articles that you've written about and some of the discussions that you and i've had when we met um, yes. You know, you talked about your own research and so on, and and, and some of the fascinating things that you encountered um, and and things that you're discovering. T tell me, what are your thoughts about evidence-based approaches to hypnosis? And perhaps you could just share a couple of the things that you've been studying and working on recently that you've been that you've written about. Well, um, first I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, about what I've been studying. Yeah, uh, it's. It's funny, I think when, when we're new in hypnosis and we study with a good teacher, we tend, some of us tend to be clones of those teachers. Yeah. And, and that teacher's answers are the correct answers and it's kind of funny. And I, and I was that way. When and I and we're it. loyal to that. Yes, loyal to it. Yes. You, <laughs> and, yeah. and so, but then as you practice, things pop up that don't fit that mold and and then as we mature we begin to doubt the things that that we used to hold as as absolute truths and and it took me a while but that's that's the part of my career that I'm in right now I'm starting to doubt many of the things that I I used to believe quite strongly it's funny, I, I was with a, a very experienced hypnotist a couple of years ago and I was, I was looking at one of her books and uh, she said, I'm rewriting this book. And I said, why? And she said, I don't believe most of the stuff that I wrote in it <laughs> 20 yeah. years ago. And, Amen to that. Yeah, and that's where I am. So, so uh, things like what makes a person hypnotizable and... and uh, I had been taught things like, for instance, um, people, military people tend to be highly hypnotizable because they like to follow orders. Well, I like that. I thought that was good. 
But, you know, reflecting back, when I was in the military, following orders wasn't one of the better things that I did. I, sure. I, I just, so, anyway, and, and um, so, uh, so I'm, I'm now beginning to question and test some of these things that I was taught, and I'm sorry to say, that I taught other people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, so, yeah, so what makes a person more hypnotizable? Are there markers that you can, you can detect that are going to um, tell you this person is going to be an exceptionally good subject or, or this one isn't? And, and so that's, that's one of the things that I've been doing. I, I did some research earlier this year that I, I you know, I, I, I sort of wish I hadn't done it because I, I wound up wasting a lot of time. There are certain people, certain schools teach that there's an increase in body temperature when a person goes into hypnosis. And other schools uh, teach that there's a decrease in body temperature when a person goes into hypnosis. Yeah. And so which one is right? So, so I tested about, I think about 45 people. And the reason that I got into it was I was reading Elman's hypnotherapy for about the 23rd time. <laughs> and, and, I find, and I find something in there where he talks about the five um, unmistakable signs of hypnosis. Yeah. Uh, uh, body warmth, uh, increased lacrimation, uh, reddening of the sclera, eyes rolling up into the head, yeah. and fluttering of the eyelids. And this, and, and so I thought, increased body temperature. Let's see if Elman's got it right. So, so I did this, and the numbers were all over the place. In fact, some people's temperature goes up, some people's temperature goes down. Sometimes one part of their body gets warmer, and another part gets cooler. Sometimes right. there's no change. And so, so the answer, at least according to my research, is it depends. <laughs> So, but the yeah. funny thing was, when I reread Elman's book for the twenty-fourth time, <laughs> I found he wasn't saying that at all. He was not saying that people get warmer in hypnosis. All he was saying was, I find that when I shake somebody's hand, and possibly I got this from the recordings, I find that when I shake somebody's hand, if their hand is warm and dry, they are warm to the uh, uh, to going into hypnosis. And if I shake their hand and it's cold and clammy, they tend maybe not to be the greatest subject. That's what he was saying. And right, I completely right. misinterpreted it and spent hours and hours and hours researching it. And <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. But, but, sometimes, but sometimes, sometimes research does lead us to realize that perhaps there's, there's no correlation, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. there's, perhaps there's, but knowing that is, is, is still useful. Um, um, so, sorry, I interrupted you there, Sean. No, it's it's quite all right. It's quite all right. Actually, I, w I would like it if if you wouldn't mind. Would you start me off on the evidence based discussion? Yeah, yeah. Um, 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 well, well, heck, you know, um, um, really, I was just asking what your thoughts were on it. Um, um, I, I think I think your your, your thoughts are, are quite clear. You know, you you value it, you engage in it, and and you and you find some importance in that. Um, um, I think it's one of the questions I've been asking people that I've been that I've been speaking to, you know, what their thoughts are on the evidence based approaches, because some some people tend to look at those that favor any kind of evidence based like they're sort of 
science Nazis. Um, um, and, 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 you know, certainly it's not my intention to come across that way with myself. You know, I, I like to think I'm strongly evidence-based. Um, 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 nonetheless, I, I'm really interested in people's perspectives. And one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is for us to embrace the diversity um, um, across the field and, and really get a, a perspective on, on what people think. Um, um, but before we get into our discussion um, um, in a short while, Sean, um, just tell us, wh where can people go to learn more about your work and your approach to hypnosis? Well, uh, they can find me on my website, which is uh, worldsfastesthypnotist.com. Worldsfastesthypnotist.com. Yes. And, uh, of course, as you, as you know, I, I have the, the newsletter that comes out uh, every what is it? It's uh, it's every Tuesday. Yeah, uh, and, and, and it's great. It's great. I've I've you. been reading it for some time. It's wonderful. And they they can find links to that on the um, on the website. But oh, and of course they can find me on YouTube if they search for Sean Michael Andrews or if they search for um, uh, World's Fastest Hypnotist. They can find it on uh, on YouTube. And and the, I put a lot of instructional view, videos up there. Some of my colleagues say you're giving it. You're giving too much away, but it's not my. I don't know. I suspect that you had the same kind of instructors because of the way you are, Adam. My instructors were always so good and so generous with their knowledge, and and always encouraged sharing. And I love them. I love the way that works. And I and I've decided early on that I was going to be like that. I think that. The more you, the more you give this stuff away, the the more it comes back to you. It's just crazy the way that works. And so, I I don't wanna, I don't keep secrets, and I don't hold things back. So, yeah. well, you said that to me. Um, um, something that really stuck with me when we when we met, when you came to Bournemouth and we were sat um, having a drink together, and you mm -hmm. said, and you said that I don't keep secrets. Um, mm -hmm. um, and and I think that's a, that's a lovely thing because um, you, um, um, you know, and it's not it's not wholly selfless because I think you know mm -hmm. anybody anybody that that, that that gives you know that the more you give your students, for example, if they mm -hmm. go on to great things, you know, yes. you, you will be cited as a as an influence of theirs. Um, so it, it makes sense to to, to give and um, and it feels good too, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it feels good. You know, you, you get to sleep at night and feel like you're contributing to something better. Um, for everybody listening, um, the world's fastest hypnotist.com and Sean's uh, YouTube clips will be linked to um, um, directly beneath this particular episode. And we'll be right back with Sean Michael Andrews in just a few moments. <laughs> Now let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news. Um, um, this week I thought I'd just hit the vaults a little bit. I wanted to share a couple of news items about hypnosis that I believe were really important in recent years, which drew a lot of attention. Back in July 2012, an article entitled Hypnosis is No Laughing Matter was written by Vaughan Bell and appeared in the Guardian National Newspaper. It's one of 
very few articles to appear in mainstream media um, that I feel covers hypnosis in an evidence-based way rather than just a sort of um, um, subjective and, and, and giving a sort of personal, a personal story type way. The reason I thought I'd share it today is because in previous editions of Hypnosis Weekly, I've referred to the Stroop effect being inhibited with hypnosis. And so I'll read part of this Vaughan Bell article. Due to their inability to have their mental processes temporarily altered in ways previously not thought possible, highly hypnotizable people have become key in scientific studies. Amir Raz and colleagues at McGill University in Montreal reported that it was possible to switch off automatic word reading and abolish the Stroop effect, a psychological phenomenon that demonstrates a conflict between meanings, such as where we are much slower to identify the ink colour of a word when the word itself describes a different hue. Furthermore, when this experience, um, this experiment was run in a brain scanner, participants showed much lower activation in both the anterior cingulate cortex, an area known to be particularly involved in resolving conflict between competing demands, and the visual cortex, which is crucial for recognizing words. Although this may seem like a technicality to the scientific world it was a strikingly persuasive demonstration that hypnosis could apparently disassemble an automatic and well-established psychological effect in a manner consistent with the brain processes that support it. Now I, I loved reading that um, for anyone wanting to understand hypnosis and the Stroop effect even better, I've included a link in this, um, this show's notes to an article that demonstrates the Stroop effect and discusses aspects of how hypnosis was used to inhibit it. Now, the Bell article also goes on to cover some very interesting other points too. For example, it states... Neuroimaging has also proved key in answering the question of whether hypnotized people are pretending to experience the effects. When people are asked to fake hypnosis to the points where observers cannot tell the difference between them and the genuinely hypnotized people, the two groups are clearly distinguishable by their brain activity. And that's really interesting stuff, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of cognitive neuroscience that is exploring hypnosis and it's good to see a mainstream news article also exploring that. Do have a read of uh, that link at the Hypnosis Weekly website, it's up there for you, along with the Stroop Effect article. And then the only other story I wanted to mention this week is one that I have numerous people quote to me or refer me to from time to time over recent years. It's an article that featured in the Independent National Newspaper back in 2011, and it's entitled Cowboys Hamper Use of Hypnotherapy to Treat NHS Patients. The article suggests that here in the UK, the use of hypnosis as a medical therapy is being undermined by cowboy practitioners with little training who have caused harm to patients. The article highlights areas where we have solid evidence to treat patients, yet says further applications for patients are being held back by inadequately trained and inadequately qualified practitioners. One of the things the article refers to is uh, the Royal Society of Medicine believed that regression treatments in particular were being poorly used and potentially creating false memories. 
The reason I mention this is because for those that are interested in this subject matter, I have one of the world's most highly respected ethical regression therapy trainers joining me on this show in a few weeks' time to discuss this very topic. Links to all of those stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up then, we have this week's discussion. Sean Michael Andrews joins me again and we discuss how entertainment hypnosis such as stage and street hypnosis affects the way the hypnosis profession is perceived. Let's go straight into that now. So I'm back now with Sean Michael Andrews and um, you know if, if you go and look at some of the YouTube clips of Sean's you'll see that he does um, some of the most slick and impressive uh, um, eliciting of hypnotic phenomena on the street. Um, stuff which I think terrifies a lot of uh, um, um, a lot of hypnosis professionals, um, especially those that have a fear of failure, for example. Um, but it's 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 quite a big question and quite a big debate that of how stage hypnosis or how entertainment hypnosis and and I kind of include street hypnosis within that. How do they influence the perception of the hypnosis profession? I know that on one side of this discussion and debate, there are people that think it potentially harms or damages, um, and that there are other people as well. I mean, a lot of people always expect that I will err uh, on that side of things, yet some of my closest friends and greatest professional influences have been people that have worked with stage hypnosis, with entertainment hypnosis. Um, um, and, and even even magicians that use street hypnosis, for example. And, and I think that some of the skills that they offer are, are things that hypnotherapists can learn a great deal from. Um, Sean, tell me a little bit, what, what, what are your thoughts initially on, on, on stage and entertainment and, and, and how that stuff influences the hypnosis profession in general? Well, it's, it's funny, I, as you were talking, I just remembered something. Um, when I began in hypnosis, uh, I was a very serious hypnotherapist. Yeah. <laughs> and I hated, I hated what stage hypnosis did to our profession. Yeah. Because I was very much against it because I thought it gave the wrong impression. And, and then that, there was this slow slide <laughs> into the entertainment, entertainment side. And now my, my feeling is completely different than what it used to be. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that in my hypnotherapy practice, fewer than 3% of the people who came to see me had ever been hypnotized before. And, right. and then I would also ask them how they found out about hypnosis. And the majority of them said that they had seen a stage show. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that stage shows do for the general public is they see the hypnotist exerting what they believe to be power over the committee. Yeah. And they see that and they see their friends reacting in a way that they would never react. Many of them think that is a very powerful technology. And if he can do that, then I'll bet he can help me stop smoking, lose weight, get rid of this unreasonable fear. And, and so I believe that stage hypnosis in particular uh, feeds the hypnotherapy profession. Uh, I'm certain there may be some people that are put off 
by a stage hypnosis presentation. And, and when I'm talking about stage hypnosis, I'm talking about the, the clean shows, the respectable shows. Yeah. Um, although probably, probably the blue shows um, send people in too, but it's not the kind of show that I do. But I, I believe that it, it raises awareness of hypnotherapy and I think that it probably does more good than than harm um, yeah. profession. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, um, I think a lot of people's, uh, a lot of the public education about hypnosis for a number of years probably came from that that that, that type of that type of place. Yeah, a, a complaint that a lot of the hypnotherapists that I encounter often say in, in response to that is that um, um, when they arrive in therapy, they often then have a lot of misconceptions. So, mm -hmm. you know, you talk, you, you mentioned, um, yeah, you know, that, that, that people see this as being a powerful thing. And one of the things that I respond to that is, you know, heck, it got them through the door, you know, <laughs> um, 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 and that should not be sniffed at, surely, you know, um, 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 if it got them through the door, then, then all the better. You know, a, a part of our job is educating our clients and so on. I, I can understand that um, um, th th that can seem a bit tiresome and a bit of a chore for some people. Um, um, and uh, but educating them correctly, um, um, you know, whatever kind of model you adhere to, as far as you know, you know um, your conceptualization of hypnosis is concerned. Um, um, that that's something that you can do when you have someone who's good and receptive. The bottom line is, you know, if they believe it's powerful. Um, I think for me, the biggest issue um, um, has has been that I think stage hypnosis sometimes um, um, gives the impression that people don't have to do anything to create the change. That oh, yes. it's it's something that one person does to another, and um, um, again, if it's got them through the door, I'm still happy. But I don't want them to think that all they need to do is turn up, be zapped, and 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 then they leave and hallelujah, everything's changed. <laughs> um, 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 you know that, that actually it's explained to them that that they need to be doing, you know, that, that it's a collaborative process. Um, um, it's not something, it's not just solely something that I am doing to them. Um, um, I don't know what your thoughts are with that. No, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, it is a collaborative, a collaborative process and it is the responsibility of the hypnotherapist to explain that to the person yeah. so that they know they have some personal responsibility in this. Yeah. Uh, of course, there, there is that, uh, the odd uh, client that comes in who believes that it is absolutely powerful and believes it so strongly that the hypnotist could get away with being that powerful person and and putting them into trance and then boom the the problem goes away yeah. but uh, but they're they are rare and and I agree completely um, it got them through the door and now it's the hypnotherapist's responsibility to educate them and show them exactly how it yeah. does work and I mean and that's fine yeah, I mean, could you imagine what the world would be like if that could happen? I mean, this is what I say to that. You know, could you imagine what the world would be like if 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 that really were just a a, a central phenomena that occurred? Um, what about? I suppose as well. Um, one of the things that, I mean, one of the things that sometimes grates me with regards to provincial news and media coverage of hypnosis is 
the perpetuation of certain cliches. And I suppose yes. that, that perhaps stage hypnosis and certain types of entertainment hypnosis could potentially be um, feeding into cliches as well. Um, oh, well what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because uh, last, last month, Adam, I was, I was teaching in, um, in, in Poland yeah. And uh, a, a newspaper reporter came in to interview me. Very, very nice lady, and she brought a photographer with her, and we had a wonderful discussion. And she got excited about the possibilities of hypnosis. And, and we had such a wonderful conversation. It was great fun. But anyway, the time came to get my picture. So I stood there and smiled, and the photographer said, well, well that'll never do. <laughs> <laughs> so she got me to pose like a Svengali character. The The title of the article is Hypnosis is Not Black Magic, but she made me pose as if it was. <laughs> I love that. I, I saw that on Facebook and um, I laughed out loud at that. Um, um, yeah, I love that. I love that. You, you know, there we are attempting to normalize it and make it, you, you know, um, um, yet. Um, um, I have, um, um, I have, some some roller banners that I take in that are at my trainings yeah. um, um and and for, for sheer irony's sake I have a picture of me and the same there's the same picture that I have on my Facebook page my professional Facebook page which is of me swinging a pendulum oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, um and it's and it's meant to be ironic and I, I often start and open up my trainings with, oh, I can't stand those morons that uh, that bow down to all these cliches of you are feeling sleepy and swinging, yeah. swinging watches and pendulums. And, and yeah. I'll always get someone that hasn't realised the hasn't realized the irony of what I've said and will point it out to me. Uh, well, <laughs> well, you're quite clearly one of those morons, Adam. Um, um, yeah. Um, it, it's funny, just before you, we go on, on it's, it's funny, I, um, one of the things that I want to do is I have, a, I have a feed that every time a news article comes out anywhere in the United States, anytime one comes out that mentions a hypnotist or hypnosis, I get it in my email. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's Google News Alerts or something like that. But anyway, yeah. I, I want to do a study. How many of those, what percentage of them have the exact title, you're getting sleepy or yeah. you're getting very sleepy? Yeah. I'm guessing it's 50% of the articles. Now, you have, you, you, you've read my mind here because I, absolutely, <laughs> I, um, I, 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 it's a bit of a bugbear of mine, you know, provincial, um, or, or, or sometimes they try to do a slight clever variation on that something like you are not getting sleep yes yes <laughs> um, 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 aimed at insomnia or something you know you are not getting sleepy yeah. or, or, yeah. or perhaps the journalist didn't respond that well to the to the professional and um, yeah. um, or do something like that um, um yeah and, and it's this kind of provincial media stories that get churned out i mean i i i, I i've used um the, the google news um for hypnosis and, and looking at hypnosis in the news um, um, it, it also it's funny because it also brings up lots of stories where the word hypnosis or hypnotist is used that actually aren't on anything like hypnosis um, or anything to do with actual hypnosis that we know about, which also does make me make me titter and giggle. But but yeah. often with those articles, there will be those kind of pictures, you know, the the mm -hmm. the, 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 the 
the sort of swinging pendulum or or even some kind of Svengali type caricature that's on there um, or or yeah yeah so um I'm, I, I I hear what you're saying um but just coming back to our our stage entertainment hypnosis yeah. one of the points I wanted to make and one of the things I was discussing um recently on one of the others is that you know that there are skills that stage and entertainment professionals that use hypnosis have that really really are incredibly useful within the um within within the hypnotherapy environment um yes. do, 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 do you think that your your one-to-one -one work changed as you became more skilled or as, and as you became sort of more prominent with some of the stage and street stuff that you do Yes, definitely. Uh, the the uh, street hypnosis that I did definitely made me a better hypnotist. Um, when you can hypnotize someone on the street who had no intention or no clue that they might go into hypnosis that day, when you can walk up to that person cold and hypnotize them, with obviously with their permission, you begin to become very confident you feel almost bulletproof and then when a client comes into your office they can see it in your eyes that there, there's no doubt they're going to get hypnotized there's no doubt about that yeah. at all and and so that starts the the snowball of the snowballing of uh, their belief that you're going to change them uh, and and then when people get to know you, when you have a reputation of being, well, when, when your reputation grows, so too does your ability to heal people or help them heal themselves because they will walk in your door with absolute confidence that you can do the job. And, yeah. and so, so that's made a big change in my ability to to help people, I I often say that I wish I could track down my first, uh, my first say fifty or a hundred clients and and apologize to them and, and give them their money back <laughs> because um, it was rough in the beginning. <laughs> but do, do you find that perhaps people that have seen your seen your work, seen you do some of the street hypnosis stuff, um, mm -hmm. seen you do, or even if it's just your videos as well as real life, do you think right. that that then the expectation that they have about you personally affects and influences what happens therapeutically. Oh yes, most definitely. I think that uh, that the people that have seen my videos uh, or seen me do this in person or seen me do it on the stage are are far more likely to make the change. Who is it? Uh, I guess it was Anthony Robbins who said one time that uh, a lot of people who visit psychotherapists get better just because they want to please the psychotherapist. Yeah, and right. It's a lot of that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And uh, and so so if you have a a, a reputation, uh, often the, I think that helps. That helps in the healing. I mean, what what yeah. did Mesmer do? People went to Mesmer. They expected to be healed, and by golly, they were healed. Now, was it a placebo effect? Well, most certainly in most of the in many of the cases. But but the at the end of the day. That person, their suffering ended. They they weren't. They were no longer sick. They were no longer frightened. They were, and and so human beings got better. So that's a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the perception as well, having a perception of being credible and skilled, I think mm. um, absolutely advances efficacy of, of, of treatment when, when people come. Um, um, and and I mean, one of the things I've, I've discussed often as well is um, um, being able to do and, and have a large repertoire of skills to suit situations and to suit people. And I think oh. that some of the stuff with stage and entertainment um, 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 it, it, you know, you have to think on your feet, don't you? And you have to be, <laughs> and you have to be able to encounter resistance and deal with it quite quickly because there's a, mm. there's an audience. Um, um, one of the things I, I hear a lot of stage hypnotists say, um, especially those that that do not do any therapy, that just do stage and entertainment hypnosis, is that they're forever being asked by clients at the end of shows, you know, would you work with my friend or could you help me stop smoking? Could you help me do this? Um, yes. Likewise, I've had students that have been out, you know, at parties doing hypnotic, you know, eliciting hypnotic phenomena and sticking hands to things and, and mm. doing stuff at dinner parties and at parties. And people have automatically asked them, you know, can you help me stop eating chocolate? Can you do this? Can you do that with me? Um, yes. um, and, and it tends to be a good way, as far as I can see, to drum up business. Absolutely. So, so anyone who's listening to this podcast, go find a good, successful stage hypnotist and be friends with them. <laughs> so they yeah. can see your clients. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, so I, I think that, um, um, you know, even if you are... A hypnosis professional that is against the way in which hypnosis gets portrayed in hypnosis shows I think you know better the devil you know is 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 absolutely the worst place that, that you ought to be in um, whereas <laughs> uh, whereas absolutely as you've said you know be friends and learning and as far as I'm concerned you know having having that skill set is something that translates beautifully into the therapy room um, oh yes, and then also let's let's not uh, forget about uh, one of the best ways to get clients into a hypnotherapy practice is going out and speaking to groups, and the uh, the inductions and and techniques that we use on the stage and when we're doing street hypnosis are amazing in front of a in front of a group at a a service club or something like that or the ladies garden club or something like that it, those skills that you use in street hypnosis and stage hypnosis will will wow the crowd and convince them that they have to get an appointment with you <laughs> yeah absolutely and and i i think um, um that's a really interesting um um uh, word that you use then of, of convincing them because convincers um, um, is shown you know when people are convinced heck when I talk about the socio-cognitive perspective of hypnosis we teach clients uh -huh. hypnotic skills and the hypnotic right. skills are all things that are very often demonstrated in in, in hypnosis stage shows things mm -hmm. you know eliciting certain types of phenomena if the individual believes that they're capable of of doing this you know I, you know, genuinely believing that my hand is stuck to my leg, then surely becoming more confident or overcoming a phobia is is just is just a few steps away. Yes. Um. Um. So you know, I I, I certainly think it's um, um. Um. I certainly think that 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 that, that there should that there ought to be harmony between between the two the two sides of of, of that. Mm -hmm. Um. Sean, we're just about out of time. Um. 
thank you ever so much um, for coming and discussing and being interviewed and being part of this. Um, um, once again, uh, do visit worldsfastesthypnotist.com. All of the uh, links and um, references that we've made during our discussions are going to be placed underneath this, uh, this discussion, underneath this particular episode. Um, my heartiest thanks once again, Sean Michael Andrews. Thank you very much, Adam. Uh, you know, I always love talking with you, my friends. So uh, thank you again. It's a real pleasure. What a lovely man. Thoroughly enjoyable discussion that with Sean Michael Andrews. Um, anybody that has any thoughts, any feelings, obviously it's very difficult for us to even attempt to be exhaustive with these discussions. But um, if you have any thoughts or feelings or anything that you'd like to contribute or add with regards to something like that, please do get in touch, send it in or give us a comment on uh, the Hypnosis Weekly website. And that brings us on to this week's Hypnosis Fact of the Week. Now, there are less studies examining self-hypnosis than hetero-hypnosis. That's not our fact of the week. I think that's fairly obvious. Um, certainly it's obvious uh, within, my own, uh, within my own work of conducting literature reviews for PhD, for example. Um, but did you know that if you examine closely the evidence base of the field of self-hypnosis, looking at randomized controlled trials that have been peer-reviewed, the subject matter of pain relief is the most studied application of self-hypnosis, and that includes pediatric applications of self-hypnosis. So, yeah, pain relief outnumber studies with regards to anything else, and this is closely followed by childbirth applications, immune functioning, and um, a collective stress, anxiety, hypertension. There are other studies of note, but no other particular application of self-hypnosis can really boast anything like a depth of studies, which may surprise some people. If you have a hypnosis factoid that you'd like to share, send it in to me and we may well feature it here. There may even be prizes for good ones. In our next edition, um, I'll be welcoming uh, the fat loss guru, 13-time world champion sportsman, ultra runner, and hypnotherapist, Gary Turner. I'll be interviewing him, and we'll be discussing the real-life ways that hypnosis can be used to help reduce weight. I have many more exciting guests here uh, in future weeks. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating this field, and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions along with the related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. This week I've also included a link to the review that I gave of Sean Michael Andrews' lecture and presentation that he gave here uh, with, with my group on the south coast of England. It gives a bit more insight of my unanimously positive thoughts about him. Like I said, I also welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do get in touch if you have any. And please do consider sharing uh, this podcast on Facebook, Twitter or anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field and those interested in it. My thanks once again go to Sean Michael Andrews and thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.